When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Monday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. And we think you're getting this before Monday, because to be honest, we're recording this Friday afternoon, but it's going to be the Monday pod. So if we drop it to you, maybe late Saturday, maybe Sunday, whatever, still count it as the Monday pod. And then we'll come back on Tuesday with what probably will be a basketball reset, because the final transfer in happened for the basketball team. And that's kind of where things are right now. But Stephen Means and I are here. And we're talking now while it's fresh in our heads. We hope you guys went back and listened to the Friday morning podcast. We thought that was fun, Stephen. A draft with Ashley and Dan from the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. How did how did you think that went? I mean, for me personally, I don't think it went all that well. I'd probably give myself a draft grade of like a C minus, but overall enjoyment factor, I thought it was fun. Yeah, it was a nice, it was a different way. Sometimes it's fun, you know, to get some other perspectives on Ohio State because you guys get to hear what Stephen and I have to think all the time. So thanks to Ashley and Dan for doing that. But this is back to nitty gritty info right now about these Ohio State Buckeyes. On Friday, thanks to Jerry Emig and Mike Bassford of the Ohio State Sports Information Department, we talked to Mickey Marotti, strength and conditioning coach. I'm not sure when the last time was we talked to Mick. Before COVID. Before COVID. How about that? Pretty good. Always good to talk to Mickey Marotti. We talked to new offensive line coach Justin Fry. We talked to running backs coach Tony Alford. We talked to receivers coach Brian Hartline representing the offense. We talked to defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. And then we also got a little visit from Ryan Day at the end. So we're going to kind of go through that. And then, you know, there's people floating around the building. We got to be inside the building. They are tearing up the indoor turf of the indoor football field. So we saw them. There's no green. It's all white out there. We saw that. They had a nice uh, sign to say, remembering Dwayne Haskins in the grill where the players eat. Nice little memory of Dwayne Haskins. Um, but we got, that's where we were. We were sort of in there. Just, we got to hang out. Jim Knowles was there for like an hour. I mean, I think some people were like, we got a lot of time with these coaches, but then other people are floating around. You just talk, you get to talk a little bit. So we just gleaned, we gleaned. And I think we had a good time doing it, Stephen. So you and I are just going to go back and forth. What did you learn? What's something that our listeners here on Buckeye Talk care about? A boatload of texts went out. Ooh, was Friday a good day to be a texter? Day like that, Stephen, I don't get worried about overloading our text subscribers. It's a two-week free trial, $3.99 a month at 614-350-3315. Because I thought all the stuff that you and I were sending out was like, this is a player update. This is what a coach said Mm -hmm. about a player. This is personnel stuff of how this might break down. This is an injury thing. This is how a guy is going to be used. This is a depth chart indication. I thought we got a handle on lots of different stuff so that we don't feel bad about blowing up the texters, right? Yeah, no, because it's there's, I mean, there's days when there's probably only one text sends out, so it kind of evens itself out. But I do think today, days like today were peak 
sign up for the text moments because you got a little bit of everything that you were looking, anything that you would have been looking for out of today, you got from the text. So listen, everybody there, there's a lot of good people who cover Ohio state, but Stephen and I got some work done today. So Stephen was yeah. like, Stephen has a new best friend. Tony yeah. Alford and Stephen Means are just chopping <laughs> it up for like an extra half an hour off to the side. Um, so we got we got a handle on some things. I also found out uh, this could be used to our advantage here on Buckeye Talk. And for you, the listeners, Jim Knowles and I do vacation at the same beach in New Jersey. And I have an indication of maybe when he'll be there. And is it, is it beyond me? to plan my summer vacation around when I might run into Jim Knowles getting a donut at breakfast at our favorite vacation spot. I'm not above that. And then Jim Knowles will be like, why did I tell this guy where I go on vacation? Jim, it's Doug, it's Doug from, from Ohio State. Yeah, I just, what a coincidence. I'm like, I'm standing outside the donut shop for three hours waiting for Jim Knowles to show up. He's like, I don't want to talk about defense today, Doug. I think about defense 51 weeks a year. One week a year, I think about donuts. Yet here you are. That's what, but then, and then I'll text it out. Just saw Jim Knowles eating a donut. He told me to get lost. That's the kind of thing you might get on your phone this summer. His family's like, do you know that guy? He's like, yeah, he's from work. I don't know him, know him. I don't know him, but like, you know. He I thinks he him. knows me, but I don't know him. <laughs> know him. <laughs> so we'll start with you, Stephen. Where do you want to go? What do you want to talk about? Now, listen, so stuff, we might lean receiver, running back, offensive line, defense here, because we didn't talk to Corey Dennis. We didn't talk to Kevin Wilson. We didn't mm-hmm. talk to Larry Johnson, Tim Waltner, Perry Eliano, right? But Try to get mm-hmm. big picture stuff. So what, what's the mo- what's the most interesting thing you want to begin with here on Bacata? Yeah, let's start with some receiver talk. Um, the obvious questions that, first of all, I love talking to Brian Hartline. I think Brian Hartline makes me a better question asker. Mm. Because in your head, you might think your your question is going to get the most expansive answer in the world and then he just like makes your question sound so stupid and so sometimes it's just it's just easier to be like hey this is a stupid question but i don't know how else to ask it he'll make fun of that too but then he'll give you a good answer to it obviously he got a lot of questions about the ohio state receivers going back to back to back well oh, 2.5 i'll say 2.5 receiver going back to back to back with garrett wilson chris olave and jameson williams and what that means for the program and he dumbed that down but i think the more interesting stuff that he talked about is a combination of what that does as a recruiting pitch combined with this new world of NIL, transfer portal, all this new stuff he's trying to navigate through. And through all that, the point I want to get to is, because I think Jamison Williams is a prime example of what he was saying, he doesn't think he's seen the transfer portal make a player yet. He thinks that all the portal does is just speed up somebody's clock for what they were going to be anyway. And you look at a guy like Jamison Williams, who the example is J-Mo was going to be a first-round wide receiver anyway. It's just that by transferring to Alabama, he got to be a first-round receiver in the 2022 draft instead of having to wait till next year. So so Brian Hartline thinks if Jamison Williams, if there wasn't a portal, if he had to sit out a year and Jamison Williams decided, well, I don't want to sit. I'll stay at Ohio mm-hmm. State. Maybe I'll, he certainly would have played some in yeah. 2021, but now he'd be a starter in 2022. And Brian Hartline thinks he just would have done what he did at Alabama at Ohio State this year and then would have been in the draft next April. Yeah. And I think 
we've kind of had this conversation before the idea of maybe Ohio State just placed four receivers last year and Jackson Smith the Jigba forces his way into the situation because but Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were going to be first rounders no matter what because they were already established while JMO wasn't so he had to go somewhere else to establish that first round presence that he now was but it, so maybe in 2021 this past year he has 450 yards, which is good. It gets him on the radar, but it doesn't get him out the door in three years the way that most top 100 recruits want to be. And that does make sense. I mean, that Jamison Williams, if he would have had to wait until his fourth year in college to really be a focal point of an offense, because he was a starter in 2020, but he certainly wasn't a focal point of what Ohio State did in a weird COVID year. So, you know what? I didn't I was only at Heart- Heartline came out first, just so people understand. It's where yeah. the players lounge. It's it's this second floor lounge in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. It was just, they just have tables out there. All the tables have an Ohio State logo on them. There's a pool table in there. The pool table has an Ohio State logo. The pool balls are all scarlet and gray. There's a window that overlooks the indoor facility. The the uh, the indoor practice field that's all torn up. There's no green turf there. They're replacing that. There's another window that overlooks the weight room, and you can see all the things they have in the weight room and the things on the wall. The big four things on the wall. Uh, it's just a reminder about like that being like developing for the NFL is a really important thing here. And we've been in the weight room before, but it's like there's four big things that are listed up on the wall in the weight room. The first one on the far left is first round picks. So every first round mm-hmm. pick at Ohio State, you get your name up there in little small type. But then it's national championships eight. Big Ten Championships, uh, 39. And then what was the third thing? No, the fourth thing on the other end. I can't even remember what it was now. But but like that's how big of a deal that uh, being a first-round pick in the NFL is. I actually wrote it down. I'll get it for later. But we got to oversee that. We got to oversee the field. We got to be in there and uh, and hang out a little bit. So I Brian Hartline came out first. And I didn't want to like ask this question right away. Postseason appearances is the last thing. So that's like all the bowl games are listed mm. there. So it's first round picks, national titles, Big Ten titles, postseason appearances. I didn't, so I was only at Brian Hartline at the beginning because then you were going to stay with Hartline and then Justin Fry came out and I left mm-hmm. to go to Justin Fry. But I would have asked Brian Hartline, did he get any kind of question like this? Do they feel like they wish they had done something differently with Jamison Williams or that there was something that they could have done better with Jamison Williams so that? he would have either developed more in the time he was here and shown it on the field and played a large role in helping Ohio State win or something they could have done to keep him here rather than losing him to Alabama. It's It comes across as like a blame question, and I didn't want to yeah. potentially – I didn't want to risk ticking Hartline off in minute two of it was going to be a 50-minute session, so I didn't mm-hmm. ask it then. If I had been there in minute 46, I would have asked that. Did that kind of thing come up at all? And the answer might be no, there wasn't anything we'd change. I think the concept of the questionings led down that road. It wasn't completely said, hey, was there anything you could have done to keep JMO? Um, just because I don't know if there is a way to ask him that question without ticking him off. But the concept of um, that idea of people, when you recruit at this high of a level, somebody's going to leave because they just would rather just go be the guy in another yeah. room instead of just being one of the guys in this room. And he addressed that in a way where it was like, everybody who comes through here thinks they're going to be a first round pick. And then you start realizing that, okay, maybe you're not going to be that in this room or the idea of, you know, showing patience and understanding that you might not get on the field 
the way you thought you should have gotten on the field as a true freshman or even as a sophomore, just stuff like that. And understanding that he said this a couple of times, everybody's destination is the same, but everybody's route to getting to that destination isn't the same. And when you get caught up in what somebody else's destination is, that's when, you know, guys end up leaving. Because James, this isn't going to be the last time there's a Jamison Williams story out there for Heartland. And I think he understands the way he was talking. He understands that you can't bring in four top 100 guys every year and expect all four to stay in your room for three or four years. So I, I, there's that understanding of you bring in the talent, you develop it as much as possible, but you understand that event, every so often a JMO is going to happen. And I think you live with that because yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. Okay. There's probably some more receiver stuff we want to get to with some of the receivers on the current roster and that kind of thing. Yeah. But let's go to one that I think probably our listeners are wondering about. Uh, I was at Justin Fry for a while. Justin Fry is the second guy out. Then the third guy out is Jim Knowles. We had to say, you know, we, you and I talked about it beforehand. You were going to stay with Heartline. I had Knowles and Fry high on my list. Those are my mm-hmm. two main guys. They're talking at the same time. I go over, I drop a recorder at Knowles. I come back to Fry because I had not really talked to Justin Fry that much. So I wanted to almost get like some FaceTime with Justin Fry. So I missed probably the first 20 minutes of Knowles. And when I got over there, I said, and this is how it works. They understand this. And there's no better way to do it because you can't just line up. We're going to have six guys and they're each going to get an hour and we're going to be there six hours total. There's got to be some overlap. So sometimes they get asked the same thing twice. But most of us try to say, hey, sorry, I wasn't here. Mm -hmm. If you've had this discussion for eight minutes already, it's on my recorder. Just tell me we already talked about it. So I said, have you been asked about Court Williams? And to me, it's like, what is happening with Court Williams? It's like, we're, we were, by the end of spring, we were very interested in that. He said, no, I haven't been asked about Court Williams yet. So then I said, what is happening with Court? I said, why are you shouting like that? What is wrong with you? Please don't follow me on my vacation. So the deal with Court Williams is he just said that Court Williams was just dealing with an injury for a lot of spring. But he remains... It seems, and this is Jim, I'm paraphrasing everything Jim Knowles said, he is right in the mix of the safety conversation. And then I said, this is, again, my style of questioning at this point in my life. This is what I think, is this right? So I said, it seems like Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman, and Court Williams are all bandits or adjusters, those two real safety spots, meaning they Mm -hmm. wouldn't be in the mix at nickel. Right. Those three guys for those two spots. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. That's three guys for two spots. What do you think about possibly rotating? And he said, you know, I said series to series or whatever it is. And he said, if the guys, if we have enough guys who are capable of doing it, I'm totally on board with something like that. So again, I've detailed over time how sometimes I get tired of coaches talking about how they're going to rotate when we know they're not going to rotate. But Jim Knowles is new here. He doesn't know all the platitude. So I don't, he didn't say, oh, no, I really prefer to have two guys I can believe in there because safeties are so important. So to me, at the beginning of spring, we talked a lot about Court Williams. Then Court Williams, because of this injury, sort of, you know, faded into the background a bit and everybody got very excited about Ronnie Hickman and Josh Proctor justifiably so I think in the end my conclusion from today Stephen is it is three guys for two spots safety is really important don't give up on Court Williams I think when he's healthy he's still right there would you bet right now now this is me more than Jim Knowles would you bet right now that the two starters against Notre Dame are Josh Proctor and Ronnie Hickman probably yes 
but I would not give up on Court Williams. I would not be like panic that Court Williams has is going to wind up somewhere else or that there's not a spot for him here. I think there is. But I didn't follow up because there's so many things. I want to go 10 different directions with Jim Knowles. I don't almost yeah. want to ask the same thing. I didn't say Proctor at nickel, Proctor coverage nickel. I didn't go there. But we then did have a nickel conversation, which, again, was where Ken, Tanner McAllister and Cam Martinez are. And, like, the number one thing for that nickel safety spot is coverage ability on a slot receiver. Is that correct? That's the number one thing. Yes, that's the number one thing. So – that to me, Stephen, gave some clarity on the Hickman, Proctor, Williams, where do they fit? What are their positions? It's three guys for two spots, but maybe there's a world where all three can play. Does that help? Was that helpful? Yeah. Slightly think, helpful. Yeah. Yeah. For where we are in the spring, I think it's helpful. I'm going to throw a wrench in it just because why not? Spuck, I talk. This is what we do. Um, if the primary objective of a nickel is to cover slots, Okay, that makes sense for Tanner McAllister and Cameron Martinez. I don't know. One, I don't know what Lathan Ransom's timetable is from a health standpoint, but let's just play the game that he's ready to go by the time fall camp starts. I don't know if his best skill set is covering slot receivers. So what does that mean in a situation where if we're going to say Josh Proctor and Ronnie Hickman are the starters, um, does that put is court Williams just going to be a bandit? I know, I know you just got done talking about how that's interchangeable, but if you've got four guys you can trust back there, plus a true freshman and Kai Stokes, who's coming along, it almost feels like you're certain about who the starters are while the second team can get iffy, which I don't know if it's a, I, that might not even be a bad thing. Well, I mean, it's one of those things and this happens all the time on this podcast. And I think with teams in general, you go from not enough guys to too many guys very quickly. Yeah. And then you just as quickly go from too many guys to not enough guys. So at the moment, it's like, where's Court Williams going to play? And then let's get to week three where there's two guys at safety got abducted by aliens. And it's like, okay, well, Court Williams is going to play right. on the snap, but who's the other guy going to be? So like, we know that that happens. To me, the confirmation of, listen, when you have an injury as serious as Lathan Ransom, you're just kind of on the shelf until you're not right. like mentally and then come back and take somebody's job. Good luck to you. But I do think at the moment, if you're saying, how are you envisioning who's going to play, who are going to be the 15 guys that are going to play for this Jim Knowles defense against Notre Dame? I do think it's okay to have court Williams in that mix. Again, as many snaps as Hickman and Proctor, I don't know. Maybe it sounds like not. No, but I think something more than a straight second teamer who only plays when somebody needs to tie their shoelace. I think, hmm. I think court Williams could have a role beyond that. Is it a pure three guys for two spots, constant rotation? I don't know, but don't give up on court Williams. I think is the message here, which I think that message by the end of spring football, when he didn't play in the spring game in the last couple of times we were there, we didn't see him doing anything. Certainly got muddied a little bit. We weren't exactly sure what to make of what's happening with Court Williams. So it's just he was dealing with some injuries, and boy, Proctor and Hickman look good, but there's still a spot for Court Williams here. I thought that was on front that was front of mind for me of trying to like of all the guys you're trying to address. So we wanted to make sure we covered that. We'll cover more with what Steven and I learned talking to Ohio State football coaches next on Buckeye Talk. Doug and Steven back. Of course, you can listen to our Orange and Brown Talk podcast if you care about the NFL at all. 
We have that crossover episode on Friday. You certainly can listen to the College Football Survivor Show because that's all college. That's me. That's Shahan J. Haraja. We do an Apple podcast show every week. We do a free show every week for everybody. The most recent one was the four greatest quarterbacks in the history of the eight-year college football playoff. Who are they? It was the fifth time we had done a Mount Rushmore positionally for the playoff. We had done running backs, receivers, defensive backs, and linebackers. Those were all on the bonus episode available on Apple Podcasts. This one was on the main episode. And then ahead, we'll do edge rushers. We'll do assistant coaches, which I think will be fun. We'll do head coaches. Then we will do our overall playoff Mount Rushmore right now. Of course, we got this idea from Buckeye Talk where we had done positional Mount Rushmores for the Buckeyes um, last summer, I think. Steven, what is the next thing? No Mount Rushmores here. This is nitty gritty football talk. Somebody, we were so, someone came over to us and like after Steven and Tony Alford were hanging out forever. And I was just talking to Jim Knowles about football yeah. and vacation spots. And he was just like, you guys, you look so happy. We just like, this is yeah. just what we want to do. We just, just this talk some ball, man. Let's just yes. talk ball. And I do think at some point, Stephen, do we annoy coaches and players as media members? Maybe not you and I specifically, maybe me specifically, but general media at times, certainly. Yes. If we're just hanging out, talking some ball, maybe talking a little bit of something else, a little bit of life yeah. or whatever. I don't think they're that annoyed by that. And I think if the if you can get it rolling a little bit, it can actually be kind of fun because you know what they like? Ball. They yeah. like ball. I think, I think you can annoy them when you ask questions where it's very clear you're just trying to get a quote um, because then they're just – Nobody likes to feel like they're being used, even if they're being used, you know? Mm. So that when it's stuff like that, then it's annoying. Uh, these football players and coaches will sit there and talk ball with you forever. That's easy because it's what they do for a living. Um, I, but even there's a part of, and to get into, we're going to go into running backs next. I just like how we're doing this back and forth from defense to offense thing right now. Um, there are some questions that we have to ask as journalists that we know are going to annoy the person we're asking. And we almost preface it that way sometimes, but it's our job and we have to ask it. So when I first got over to Tony Alford, one of the first things that I asked him after I asked him J.K. Dobbins stuff was I was like, I know this is going to be an annoying question. I know you're not going to know the answer to it and you're not going to give me one, but I have to ask it. No. And before I even said that, he went, but you're going to ask me anyway. I'm like, I mean, yeah, I have to. It's my job here. He's like, you're going to ask me about the. Uh, carry distribution aren't you i'm like i am gonna ask you about carry distribution <laughs> you just kind of know this but i'm gonna dress it up so it doesn't sound like i'm asking you about carry distribution and we actually ended up having a really good conversation about it he doesn't know a number here's the deal trayvon henderson is the top dog and whatever happens happens behind him but the way tony offered wants to approach running backs this situation one, he thinks all three are going to play. And he almost, he kept pounding that into my head, even during our hour long conversation after the, all three of these guys are going to play this year. And he, he kind of mapped out why he treats it like MLB treats starting pitchers. You're not just going to have a guy out there just for the sake of having a guy out there. So when we, I brought up the JK Dobbins stuff where it's like, he said, there was a during the Rutgers game, JK only played in a half. And I was like, yeah, that's because you guys were blowing them out by 40. And then he had like 30 carries against Pace, Penn State. And he's like, that's exactly why we pulled him against Rutgers. It's the same logic every single year. Yes, Travion Henderson is your guy, but against Toledo, there's no reason whatsoever for him to have more than six carries because it's Toledo. 
So why not give those carries to Evan Pryor and Mayan Williams and get those guys going? Because then there is going to be a game against a Wisconsin or against a Penn State down the road where you might need to have Travion Henderson go for 30 carries and 30 plus carries. That's going to happen at some point, but you don't want to waste that early in the season. And so that's what he means when he says all these guys are going to play. But then also there's an element of this that is. Let's just say Evan Pryor goes out there for a series and he gets it four times and he goes 28 yards. You're going to sit him? No, he's hot. So you're just going to roll the hot hand there. So it is a there is a balance to this, and it's why he gets annoyed by the what's the ideal breakdown if you run the ball 40 times a game? Is somebody getting 20 and the other two getting 10 apiece? It's not necessarily like that. It's a is it worth giving the ball to Travion Henderson 15 times against Rutgers? when you know you can win if he only carries it seven times. It is interesting. And like that starting pitcher comparison is even interesting because 10 years ago, starting pitchers went seven innings and now starting pitchers go four and a third because they figured out some teams have six man rotations. Now nobody's throwing 240 innings a year anymore. There's Mm -hmm. been an evolution of how do you keep arms healthy? How do you keep extend guys careers? How do you keep, a fresher pitcher out there where the middle reliever is not as good as the starter, but a fresh middle reliever might be better than a tiring starter. And we're Mm -hmm. seeing that more and more with the evolution of the running back position. And again, the world where, Hey, you know, this guy got it 27 times every single game. We're just getting a little bit further and further away from that world. Usually to me, every conversation about running back carries is in a good game in a tight game, in a game that matters against a good opponent. But the idea, but the clarification of, hey, you you literally might play a quarter when we're winning by a bunch. I do think that matters. And the idea of getting a young guy who is not gigantic, he's not little. Travion is built, but he's not Derrick Henry, and you want to get him to January, man. So I do think all that, that conversation matters, and that conversation is important. I'll go somewhere. This is just sort of talking a little bit. This wasn't specific to anything, but it was some confirmation of the idea that this young defensive line for Ohio State might be really, really good. And there's a possibility that these second year guys are just kind of the dudes. And it doesn't mean the older guys aren't important and aren't going to play. But when we talk, JT Tumalo out, Jack Sawyer, Tyleek Williams, Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton. Those guys are all the same recruiting class, right? They're all mm-hmm. coming into their second seasons in the program. Yep. And there might be a world where when you really get down to business, like that might be where it's at. So, yeah, I mean, Zach Harrison, good. Teron Vincent, good. You know, Tyler Friday and JJB. And there's a plenty, there's plenty of older guys around here. Jaron Cage, we get it. We understand. But this class, this second-year group, Stephen, could be a group that people remember, and they might be here now. They might be ready now. They might have looked this spring like, yikes, those might be the dudes that we are really going to lean on, even though there's a lot of good veterans here. Not a shock. But interesting to sort of get that vibe a little bit after today. Yeah, I asked Mick Marathi about JT specifically because of his timetable. And the way I preferences was, how like caught off guard were you that he was ready to play football? Let alone be good, but like he was playing mm. football. And he said, yeah, that's like an outlier. That almost as if like that should not have happened. 
at all. We were right to assume that maybe this was just a development year for JT and let's reset in the spring. And then it's like the Jack and JT show that pushed everybody's expectations for him kind of through the roof a little bit because, and he, he credited his, his, his background. He, he's a, he's come from a family of coaches. His, his father had him ready, ready to go, but still to show up mid mid July and you're the starting defensive end against Oregon, some of that because guys were injured, but you're a starter two, three games into the season. That, that, that was not the expectation for JT at all. And so that raises the expectation. I agree that those four, it's third and seven in the fourth quarter. And you need to stop. Those might be the four on the field. The question is going to be, and we didn't get Larry Johnson today, which is unfortunate. He's out recruiting and doing whatnot. How quickly does Larry want to get there? Because there can be a sense of, this is not us doubt, doubting Zach Harrison as a football player. He is it's an NFL not. football player, for sure. It's But like, this is Ohio State. We're used to Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Youngs. So if you feel like you might have a Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young on your team, and like one of them is ready to pop now as a sophomore, put that guy on the field. Because you know what was so great about Chase Young? That he had 10 sacks as a sophomore, and then he had 16 and a half as a junior. You got two years of that. You got two years of Joey Bosa. Now, you didn't get those years of Nick Bosa because you were rotating him, and then he got hurt in 2018. But if you can get multiple years out of a potential top five NFL draft pick, you have to get to that as quickly as possible. So that's really the question. If everybody in that building feels like those four are ready, but especially like JT and Jack, just because they're edge rushers, and that's what this place is known for, is Larry going to let him loose? Yeah. No, that's real. That's real. It's a constant discussion at every major program. You know, you guys know we've talked about a lot here on Buckeye Talk. What do you do when you have good veterans and potentially great young guys? Mm-hmm. Uh, getting a little specific on the defensive line stuff, because, again, I was trying to drill down with Jim Knowles as much as I could. Asked about Zach Harrison. I said, it seems like to us, is this right? And again, I'm repeating a lot of things he said at the podium in the course of the spring. But if I'm sitting mm-hmm. at the table with you and it's like, okay, this is based on what you've said to the group. Now it's us. Okay. Is this right? Just said, it seems like Jack Sawyer fits the Jack edge spot and JT Tumaloa sort of fits the other traditional defensive end spot. And then maybe Zach Harrison is kind of in between or maybe could do both. Does that seem right? And he was like, listen, man, I can't tell you guys all this stuff. He said, if you want to go get a cigar and sit and talk off the record, we can talk about that. And I was like, please, can you tell me when we can do that? But yes. just like the general idea of he does, he wants to keep people guessing a little bit, but he does mm-hmm. think Zach Harrison can do some Jack things. He said he has not, they didn't ask him to do much this spring, but he does think that's possible. But again, generally speaking, Jack is the Jack and JT is not. And then, because the hard thing is to me, because And I, again, I didn't follow up specifically on this because I wanted to get to the 12 other topics. Like if Zach Harrison isn't, can I say, because Zach Harrison plays some tackle and he was like, well, that's kind of up to Larry Johnson, but I don't know. And again, Rushman package maybe. And that yeah. could be an opportunity. Do we all think that in a, in on third and eight, actually we might see Zach Harrison, JT Tumalo and Jack Sawyer on the field together? Well, they've been doing that for years. That's not all a right. wrinkle. That's definitely possible. But generally speaking, it's just a little bit hard for me if Zach Harrison's not doing any Jack, then he just plays the same position as JT to mm-hmm. And then what do you do? And if he's not going to play any tackle on first or second down, then what do you do? Then you just have JT and Zach at the same position at one spot and that's it. 
and everybody's thinking to themselves, if there's one guy on this team who might be ready to explode on the defensive side of the ball into an All-American, it's the guy who plays the same position as Zach Harrison, then what do you do with Zach Harrison? That's where I am on this. Yeah, I'm trying to get Zach Harrison on the field for the snaps. Not me. People know I'm hyperbolic. Zach Harrison doesn't need me doing anything. I'm just curious about how you get Zach Harrison on the field for the number of snaps that, to me, it feels like he deserves, has earned, should should get to help this team win if he only plays the same position as JT Tumaloa. That's where I am, and that's why I keep trying to figure out what else can Zach Harrison do. So that's just where my head is at, but maybe it's just – you have two excellent guys at one spot and you can save save reps on their bodies and that's not a problem. But like, do, do you understand it sort of – Yeah. Because if Zach is sort of like not a backup, but again, if you're thinking three guys for two spots, well, Zach can play a little bit with Jack. Zach can play a little bit with JT. He can do either. I think you open up that world a little bit more than if it's just two guys for one spot. Yeah, the, the simple version of that question – that's not going to get an answer, at least on the record, is if JT is on the field, is Zach not? And if Zach is on the field, yeah. is JT not? And, you would, I mean, we're, we're going to find that out September 3rd. That's the only way we find out that question. I don't – yeah, I don't even know what the answer to that question is. It's, 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 maybe we're overthinking it. But there is an element to this of like how we've talked about the Jack in the in the past. They don't need the Jack every single game. So sometimes it might just be like you've got two traditional defensive linemen out there and like, yeah. hey, Jack, just put your hand in the dirt. Or that, unless it's third that, down. that Zach and JT are on the field together and neither of them is playing the Jack because right. there isn't a Jack right now. There's just two yeah. traditional defensive ends and we're not looking for either of them to be moving around and standing over the guard or floating or dropping in coverage. That's not what we're asking of them. So, um, that, and then the other specific defensive line thing that I asked Jim Knowles was we were having a cup, you know, Tim May was there and he was asking some good questions. Dave Biddle, we were just talking about what sort of they look for in defensive tackles and that Tyleek Williams is a guy. This is what, what Dave Biddle asked that just, you know, there hasn't been a guy like Tyleek Williams necessarily at his size at Ohio state for a while. Traditionally the Ohio state defensive tackles aren't quite as big as Tyleek, which led us into, Hey, you know, and then Tim was saying those big, those gigantic athletic defensive tackles, there is they hard to find in recruiting as quarterbacks are. And it was like, yeah, they're rare. And it's like, oh, those Georgia guys, you know, Devontae Wyatt and Jalen Carter and mm. Jordan Davis, they're hard to find. And Noel said, traditionally, I've liked smaller defensive tackles because Noel said he thinks your quickness, your first step, that matters more than your size. He'd rather have a quick first step diet than a big space eater because he thinks that can be more disruptive. That if I have a quick first step and I'm in the backfield, I'd rather have a 290-pounder who can do that than a 340-pounder who can't. But I said, well, then what if you have a guy who has both, who is gigantic and has a quick first step, which is what those Georgia guys had this year. They had three defensive tackles who had that. And then he said, well, that changes your whole defense because now you know every snap that guy's going to have to be double teamed. And then you game plan everything else off the fact that it starts with a double on him and now what? because he is too big and too quick and athletic to not double. So that's a game changer, and they are hard to find, which then leads to 
could Tyleek Williams be a guy like that? And the answer is he could. So it's like a winding. It's not necessarily what Knowles has had or looked for. He doesn't feel like he needs a guy like that. But the obsession with gigantic athletic defensive tackles, are they game changers? Yes, they're game changers. Could Tyleek Williams be one? Maybe he can. We've had this conversation, and I'm pretty sure you asked Knowles questions about it. Maybe this leads us down that road of what does a guy like Jim Knowles do now that he's got this level of talent? I think the Taliq Williams part of it is the most intriguing part because everything is else is just like, hey, what happens when you have better players? You just simplify things. With the Taliq Williams conversation, it's, hey, you have a guy who might command a double team on every single snap. What does that do for you as a brain for a defensive coordinator who has said it? He wants to you know, play offense on defense. When you have a, when you know that every single snap, there's a guy out there. Well, not every single snap because he's an interior defensive lineman and you know, it's just not that's not realistic unless you're Aaron Donald to play 75 snaps a game. When you have a guy on your out there on the field who you know the offense has to double team, does that get your creative juices flowing every even more? Or does it make you want to simplify even more, more than it is like, hey, you've got a bunch of five and four stars all over the place? So we did have that conversation. Hey. More, because it is, again, it's something that I have been obsessed with all spring and Marcus Hartman from the Dayton Daily News, who's a guy, Marcus has been around forever. And I always like talking football with him. He's a really sharp football mind. We wound up having this conversation sort of together with Knowles. And I had reference, for instance, Joe Tiller and the spread offense that he brought to Purdue at that time was something it was sort of to, to elevate Purdue's offensive talent and to let Purdue something, let Purdue do something that it couldn't do just off raw ability. And as Marcus then called it, he said it was like an underdog offense. But then now you're in a world where everybody runs that offense and the overdogs run that kind of offense and get people in space. And it's no longer you take the underdog offense and you put five stars and have them run it. And guess what? Still works. So Marcus is one who used that phrase, that underdog offense, asking sort of was your style of defense at Oklahoma State kind of an underdog defense that I'm going to do the things I do. I'm going to disguise coverages. I'm going to have a jack that moves around. I'm going to try to be aggressive. I'm going to dictate to the offense rather than be dictated to. Is that because you're? it's like an underdog defense and you're trying to make up for it, that you're trying to elevate? And the phrase I was using was elevating your talent rather than putting the talent you have in the best position for them to be successful, right? That you, mm. my talent maybe isn't quite good enough. And I referenced to Jim, hey, I know you, you had a great defense last year. Nobody off that defense got drafted higher than the sixth round in the draft. And I said, I know you think Malcolm Rodriguez is an, the, as good of a defensive player as you can find. He was a sixth round pick. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of guys, you're going to have more than six round picks here. And this was the point that Moles made that was clarifying for me. He said, it's not about being an underdog e- defense where I'm trying to elevate our talent, it's about I'm trying to keep the offense off balance. So what I do as a schemer is not a reflection of who's on the defense. It's a reflection of what the offense is trying to do. So that idea, it's not based on what I have. It's just I have. I think I have to do that the way offenses have evolved. So now – Give me better talent. Awesome. We're going to make it even harder on offenses then, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to change this. And Knowles did start off by saying, Hey, listen, 
you grow, you evolve. I don't ever want to be exactly the same as I go from place to place to place. You have to learn, you have to grow. But then I said, you know, so now in the end, do you think to yourself, hey, I'm because I have all this talent and they had this before, I really have to change. And he said, I hope not. So it's sort of like, this is what got me here. We're going to do this. But it helped me, Stephen, because I had gotten a little obsessed with the idea of, are you sure you want to move Chase Young around? Don't you just want to let Chase Young be Chase Young? And his idea to that, and I had asked him that three weeks ago, yeah. but it's more, but more generally it's, yeah, we have great talent, but the offense still has an edge because everything about the rules, everything about the game gives them the offense an edge. And I have to scheme like this regardless. So he's going to scheme the same way. So there is going to be a jack. There is going to be disguise coverages, but it's not going to limit in his mind, the skill and natural talent of the Ohio State defenders is just going to continue to do what he's always done, which is put his guys in a position to dictate to offenses in a world where if you sit back, offenses will tear you apart. So that helped me, Stephen, that it's more about fighting the offenses than who you have in your 11 as a defensive coordinator. You know what I mean? Does that help? Does it help? Does it help? It did. And to be honest with you, I like hearing that. Yeah. Because the opposite of that is the almost, yeah, I have more talent so I can keep things more simple, which is fine until like teams are out ski until Oregon is out scheming you and working you for 60 minutes. And so I, I kind of do like that. The talent is better, but I'm still going to keep doing what I'm doing. It should just work more often now. That's almost yeah. a mindset there because the players who are executing it are better you know, there's going to be less breakdowns, ideally, is what you're thinking about in that situation. Because that the problem has not necessarily been the talent in the last few years. It's made, it's Well, some of it is the talent. You lost Josh Proctor in the back end of your defense. But also, been the scheme was so simple that everybody could scheme for it. Yes. So I, I do. I like the fact that just because I'm in a bigger house doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, work any less at, th- at keeping the house together and keeping it built, right? You know, keeping yeah. it nice. No, I'm going to do the exact same thing I was doing in the other house. It's just now I'm in a nicer house. So when I vacuum the floor, it's a little bit nicer. Cause I do it's, it's why do you do what you do? It's because of the offenses. And so then we were getting a little bit of like the schemer stuff. And it's like, I said, are you like, do you have moments? So it's like, okay, I'm in my office. Here we are. I'm going to scheme. Or are you one of those guys that like there's stuff in your head all the time and you're in the shower and you're, on the treadmill and defensive ideas come to, he's like, I never, I can't turn it off. I think about it constantly. And he said, and then, um, you know, when I wrote a big, one of the bigger things I've written about Ryan day, like the first year was a head coach and I was in his office and there's just doodles everywhere. And it's just like Ryan day, just doodles plays every minute of the day. He can't turn it off. And that, that Knowles has talked about, he talked about on Friday that like they connect on that level. And I said, are all coaches like that? Because listen, you're football guys. Like, you're all like that. And he's like, not everybody. He's like, obviously a lot of guys are, but not all of them are. And then I do think Jim Knowles and Ryan Day have a relationship on, I'm constantly thinking about the thing I do, which is trying to out-scheme you. And, and Knowles said, makes for fun practice. But I do think that that, I think, I'm sure, I mean, they're different enough. Yeah, they're Boston and Philly, man. Come on, they're Boston and Philly people, they want to fight each other. But I think probably what draws them together, and as much as Ryan Day has become a culture guy and a leadership guy and yeah. mental health awareness and all the things, at his heart, Ryan Day is a doodler and a schemer. And at his heart, Jim Knowles is a doodler and a schemer, and they connect that way, I think. 
And I think this hire, I think he knows that now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he and Kerry were ever going to, because Kerry's not a schemer. He's a, he's a motive. He's like Kerry. I'm not saying Urban Meyer didn't have good schemes, but that's not what he was known for. That's not the type of, I don't know if that's the hat you would put him in as a head coach. It's like an X's and O's guy first. You probably would put him in the motivator hat first. And, and, and listen, I, I'm not, we're not saying Jim Knowles isn't a good recruiter. No, 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 no. I'm not, but I don't think Jim Knowles can recruit like Kerry Combs can. Of I think course, he no. throws yeah, Kerry no. Combs into any house in America and walk yes. out of there and think, I think we might have just got that kid because Kerry Combs is Kerry Combs. Yes. So everybody has strengths, but yes. I do think I agree with you. What is the strength? Yes. Jim's, Jim Knowles' strength, as we thought when he got here, but it's being reinforced, yes. is Doodler Schemer. And guess what? The offensive guy is a Doodler Schemer, too. So it works in a world where, like, your head coach is very much still only on his side of the of expertise. It works out perfectly. Like he said, he was looking for a head coach of the defense, which means he needs a Ryan Day on that who just is who grew up in the defensive world because he grew up in the offensive world. And so this might click. And I think it was clicking with Jeff Halfley too. He just left after a year. And I do think that again, how can Ryan let that go? You let it go. Cause it's like, that guy's just like me. That guy thinks yes. just like me. He sees the game in a mirror image, just like me, which allows me to say, I can let it go. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's, it's again, we're reinforcing, Kind of what we thought, but I think we're we're getting a better understanding of what we thought about this team. We'll take a last quick break. Come back. What else did we learn? Talking to Ohio State assistant coaches on Friday. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen Means. Where would you like to head next? Is there something else that you wanted to cover that we haven't gotten to talk about yet? Um, yeah, let, let's let's do some offensive line stuff, and then we can wrap up with some of this, you know, leadership CJ Stroud style talk. Uh, Justin Fry wasn't great. He's already in head coaching mode the way he answers questions. I, I think the my biggest takeaway from him was more just newsy stuff. He, he expects them, everybody to be fully healthy by the time we get to fall camp, which is basically just a, a Josh Fryer conversation at this point, along with Enoch Vamahi being their sixth and seventh offensive lineman, whatever order you want to put him in. Um, I did. I asked Donovan Jackson this question. I wanted to ask Justin Fry too, just like, is there that much of a difference between playing left guard and playing right guard and why you would put a guy here versus there? And he's just like, no, it's just like technique, left brain versus right brain. So it, it just basically came down to reinforcing what Kevin Wilson said of Donovan Jackson as their second string left tackle of something if Paris Johnson gets abducted by aliens. But other than that, I think he wasn't – he's in head coaching mode. So he answers yeah. questions in kind of a kind of vague way a lot of the times. It's hard because like his top five is so established and yeah. the second five is so unestablished that it's hard to get nitty gritty stuff. I was there for a long time with Justin Fry. Um, again, some Donovan Jackson stuff. Just I, I was trying to say, how do you decide whether a guy is a tackle or a guard as you're trying mm-hmm. to evaluate it? Is there a certain wingspan, a certain height that you need to have? And he was like, you know, the wingspan is a big deal because if your arms aren't long enough, he kept saying that to be a tackle, you have to play in space. You have to play in space, play in space. And play in space is you've got to make those edge rushers go a long way to get around you, mm-hmm. right? Or make, or also make sure you don't get beat inside. And that's where his wingspan comes into play. You can't reach. I think Paris was talking about that. Sometimes when you get out to tackle you're in, and you do have long arms, you're like, I'll just reach to that guy. It's like, well, you got to slide to the guy and then get your arms on him. But – you know, six six is ideally the thing, but then Justin Fry was like, I knew a guy who was I played with a guy who was six three who had long arms, 
who got drafted in the NFL. So they know, you guys listening know what a tackle is. They know what a tackle is. There are some exceptions to the rule, but yes, could Donovan Jackson be a tackle someday? Yes, I think he could. I think we're getting that impression, Stephen, that not right now, but maybe later. They love him. And the one thing, Justin Fry said, he thinks year one, and we've talked about this, year one for offensive linemen, you just have to assume, is not going to happen. Because he said year one is about learning how to be a football player. Mm-hmm. in college for offensive linemen year one is just learning football and then year two is learning how to be an offensive lineman so th- like learning to be a football player that's all that stuff that's weight room that's nutrition that's toughness mm-hmm. that's grinded out and then you can get to footwork and hand fighting and using your eyes and all that stuff but you got to get strong and big first so that's that's the reality of that. And so like Donovan Jackson, but think about Donovan Jackson. That's the, Donovan Jackson's on that path. So we had mm-hmm. a little bit of a role last year, but to Justin Fry, Justin Fry wasn't here, but that's just Donovan Jackson learning how to be a football player. Now we get down to business. Now we get down to how do you be a really good offensive lineman? But not, I didn't think there was a ton to learn. Like I didn't, again, it's not, Justin's group is just not quite as tidbitty, which is fine, yeah. but he's also, you know, he, he just locked eye. I said, oh, you got three offensive linemen in the class. You're done recruiting. You can just relax for now. And he said, recruiting, of course, I was kidding. Sometimes I like to say dumb things to see what people say, as anyone listening to this podcast knows. And he said, recruiting is like brushing your teeth. You got to do it every day. Yeah. And then I, I was going to say, you have to brush your teeth every day. But I was like, this guy doesn't know me that well yet. Maybe you better chill out, Doug. So, um, you know, Paris Johnson, really good, making the adjustment. Dewan Jones, really good. Luke Whipler, you know. Student of the game, Donovan, like just like nothing we didn't really know before, Stephen, sort of with how they're doing. But by the way, they're in pretty good shape, as we covered on the Thursday pod with their offensive line recruiting. But he can't talk specifics of recruiting. Starting offensive line has now become not the the, the depth is an issue. And we'll continue to discuss that. But the starting unit is boring to talk about because it is what we know what it is. Because even with we know who the starting quarterback is and the starting running back is and the best receivers. But there's still interesting things to ask about those guys. It's just like. We know what the starting unit is. As long as nobody gets hurt, they're fine. And but like, there's two five stars in that group who have never played the position they're going to play yes. this year in a college football game before. So it's like, hey, does everybody think Paris Johnson and Donovan Jackson are going to be great? Yes, everybody does. Do we know for sure? No, we've no. never seen them play a single snap at the position they're going to play this year. So we're all in wait and see mode. Mm-hmm. But it's like pretty certain in what we think. Wait the best possible wait-and-see mode you could be in. But at some point, like when you keep asking the offensive line coach, hey, aren't they good? He's like, well, yeah, they're good. They are. They're yeah. very good. But they've also never done it. But they're very good. So once they start doing it, because then once you're good and you're showing it, then, like we've done with C.J. Stroud, yep. then you're no longer talking about, do you think they will be good? Now we're, we have proof. They are mm-hmm. good. Now you're on to, why are they good? Yes. Now let's talk about feet and smarts and toughness and the way Paris and Donovan work together and pass guys off. And now we'll be in business. But at the moment, we've almost gone as far as we can go with, are they supremely gifted young players? No doubt about it. Let's see what happens against Notre Dame. So that's where right. we are. So not a ton of not a ton to learn on the offensive line um, from that point of view. You were at Mickey Marotti. Again, we had not talked to Mickey Marotti in a while. I did want to ask this because I was thinking to myself, have I we have we ever asked Mickey Marotti this? And we might have. I can't remember. 
but I think it was two years ago, the Alabama strength and conditioning coach left and went to Georgia to be the special teams coach. It was strength and conditioning guy becoming one of the 10 assistants. Mm. And so I just want to say, I said, Mick, have you ever in your career considered, did I, what did you want to be a position coach? And he was like, never, no. And he was like, because I feel like I can impact, have a bigger impact where I can get my hands on everybody rather than just the guy in my position. Because, and I do think our under, by this point, Stephen, everybody knows that. You're the head coach of the offseason. Mm-hmm. So, and as we know, especially if it came up with Urban Meyer, it's like Mickey Marotti was like the second most important coach on that staff. Urban Meyer was one, Mickey Marotti was two. If you said to Urban Meyer, you've got to fire everybody but one guy, would have kept Mickey Marotti because he's the head coach of the offseason. So it's like, if you're the head coach of the offseason, do you want to be the head coach of the offseason or do you want to be an assistant of the whole year? He's like, I'll be the head coach of the offseason because he doesn't vanish when the season starts. So I just wanted to ask him that. I wanted to see how he answered it, but he like, I couldn't even get it out before he was like, no, never one time in my life. It feels like he's, he likes it. He likes Ryan Day. He likes this program. He's like an assistant athletic director now. He's above being an assistant coach. I'm sure he makes a ton of cash, but I think he likes his job. He's going to be here, I think, for the duration. What did we learn? You really, one of your priorities, Stephen, was these off-season squads, right? Like yes. trying to figure out who were the leaders. What did you learn about that? Um, CJ Stroud was one of the leaders. Um, of It was 12 squads. Um, CJ was a leader of one, which was a good thing, which led them to a discussion about leadership with CJ Stroud and some of that stuff we can get into as well. Um, and then I followed up with, are we allowed to know the names of the other squad members? And he basically said, well, if Ryan Day hasn't told you by now, then I guess you're not allowed to know. It's like, okay, that's a, that's a quality answer to that question. And then I asked, I know you guys were doing a lot of, they were, they were doing a lot of different competitions through all this. They'd have days where they play dodgeball and basketball and all basically all the stuff that they do on Friday practices. Um, it's like the most fun, best Friday practice in sports is what they labeled it or something like that. And I said, were you guys keeping score with all of that stuff? And he said, yeah, everything's a competition. Yada, 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 yada. And I was like, so who won? And he said, squad 10 won. And I said, I tried to trick him. It's just like, is that CJ's? He's like, no. He said, so who's the leader of that one? He says, I'm not going to. And then he just didn't go down that path with me anymore. So we're still working to get the leaders of some of these squads. I know a couple of them already. I know CJ Stroud was for sure a leader of one of the squads. But as Ryan Day talked about the first time we got him for spring football, they put a lot of leadership stuff in place just based on how last season kind of went. Um, a lot of weird stuff. Obviously, you had a guy quit in the middle of a game and throw his equipment into the stands. Guys transfer him before the season was over. You get you lose to Michigan. And, of course, there was a lot of questions about the toughness and the, the strength and conditioning program. Um, he said everybody had to look in the mirror after that loss to Michigan and how it kind of played out. Um, he didn't necessarily say he could see it coming, but now that it, it's kind of like a hindsight thing of, there were a lot of signs that kind of said that they were going to lose mm. to Michigan that day. Um, even if like you weren't thinking about it and you probably weren't thinking about it because you just wiped Michigan state off the floor six days earlier. So obviously you're right on a high going into a situation like that, but there, it, it seems like that loss to Michigan was almost like a reset for everybody in the program, not just for the players, for the coaches and all the support staff and everything else. And that's also where I asked about JT, um, you know, coming in and being what he was but uh, th- that's the biggest takeaway from that portion of it as far as the toughness factor that we've talked about and the leadership from a program standpoint 
they lost 42 to 27 to Michigan and it was pretty embarrassing and everybody had to kind of reset some things here. Couple little logistical things that you guys probably, by the time you're listening to this, have heard about. You've read somewhere. There was a post on Cleveland.com on Friday. Marcus Crowley is done playing football at Ohio State. Tony Alford said he had another injury this spring. He'd had an injury last fall. He tore his ACL his freshman year. Just terrible luck for Marcus Crowley. So when you have that situation, you retain your scholarship to stay at school, and you can be around the program. And Ryan Day, Ryan Day confirmed all this stuff. You can you can be around the program. You get your schooling paid for. You just don't count against the 85 scholarship count, and you can't play in games anymore. So that's what the situation is with Marcus Crowley. Just really unfortunate luck. He's out of Jacksonville in the class of 2019. And then Mitchell Melton, who we had talked about a lot this spring as a guy moving from linebacker to defensive end as a candidate for that jack spot, hurt in the spring game. Ryan Day said it's an ACL, and that that's probably it for the year for him. Hmm. So Mitchell Melton, class of 2020, is missed last year with an injury. Now is going to miss with an ACL this year. So that's two major injury news. One ending a career, one ending a season. Um, Ryan Day said they're at 85 on the scholarship count. I updated it at cleveland.com without Crowley. I think they're actually at 84 by what we have. And that's counting all three kickers on scholarship. Yeah. Noah Ruggles, Jake Seibert and Parker Lewis, the transfer in from USC, even with three kickers, that's only 84 for me, but Ryan Day said probably done in and out. They're not expecting any more transfers either way. He's okay with how the transfer things have gone. And some, right as he was leaving, he said, like, someone said, like, any, like, do you, do you have enough kicker or like, how many kickers are on scholarship? And he said, like, I don't know, I, enough or something like he was. But as far as we know, Parker Fleming, the special teams coach, was also out. And Ryan Day confirmed this. All good with Noah Ruggles. So if anybody like Noah Ruggles wasn't around this spring, like excused absence, you know what you're doing. You don't have to be here. And then they brought in a transfer from USC who had been USC's kicker. And it might make you think, is something going on with Noah Ruggles? That is not the indication. No. Full steam ahead with Noah Ruggles. They just have the space and they're kind of getting ready, I think, for when Noah Ruggles is gone. And this Parker Lewis guy just sort of presented himself because he wasn't happy at USC. So I guess they just took him. Yeah, I think Parker Lewis has like two or three years left of eligibility, um, plus like the COVID year. So, I mean, you have the space. You just added an extra kicker. Um, They can't talk about him on the record yet because he's technically not enrolled in school. So um, because the summer sessions haven't started yet. So we'll actually get to ask Parker Fleming about him when we talk to him this fall. So that's kind of the update from just a logistical point of putting the roster together. Um, I don't think there's any other player stuff that jumped out to me that I was like, oh, we need to make sure we talk about this. We hope you guys got something out of that. Some hearty football talk, Stephen and I, we certainly enjoyed doing it. We'll be writing about this stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. I have a few more things I think I'll text about over the course of the weekend. By the time you listen to this, maybe you got them. But again, this is a good time. There's stuff like this that pops up to be a tech subscriber. Football stuff, recruiting stuff, basketball stuff. It's all available for $3.99 a month at 614-350-3315. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>